Well, we are in a brand new series, so if today is your first time or your first time back in a while, you picked a great Sunday to be here because we are starting a new series called The Remedy, The Remedy. Now, it's going to be a two-part series. It's going to be really short. We're, uh, part one is this week. Part two is on Easter Sunday, and uh, I know that you guys are inviting people, and you're like, we're finishing a series when I'm inviting people. Well, we have a plan. Trust us. Here's what we're doing after this series. We're doing a series called Now What? And so the whole thought behind this next series after this one is that once Jesus went back to heaven, once he had ascended back to sit at the right hand of the Father, the disciples were still here on this earth. Their master was gone. Their leader was gone. What was this, what was Christianity going to look like? What was the way going to look like without Jesus here on this earth. The disciples were kind of wondering, now what? And so we hope that you'll come uh, for the next few weeks as we kind of dive into that and talk about next steps, talk about the early church as we go through this series, The Remedy, and then the next series, Now What? All right, well, as I said, we're in a series called The Remedy. Let me say one more thing about that. We are a church that embraces social media, so uh, if you tweet or post about being here today, or maybe I'll say something really profound, then you could use the hashtag Remedy, hashtag Remedy, and, uh, and that'll all be on a central place, either on Twitter or Facebook, where we can all kind of go and look at it, and uh, hopefully it generates a buzz in the community, and they want to know, what is this people are talking about, okay? So you, we'll hope that you'll use that hashtag. Well, we're going to go ahead and dive right into today's message, and I want to begin by asking you a question, and I need some audience participation here. Um, here. Here's the question. How many of you hate to be sick? Hate to be sick? Absolutely. Absolutely. I hate when I'm uncomfortable. I hate when I'm in pain, as well as I suspect most of us do. And uh, here's what I know. When we are in pain or when we're experiencing some sort of discomfort, we immediately begin to look for the remedy. What is it that's going to make me feel better? What is it that's going to take this feeling away? Because I don't like it. For those that don't know, uh, me and my wife, we had a little baby three months ago. His name is Mason, and um, he's absolutely the most handsome baby that there is. If you don't believe me, you can check my Facebook. We have tons of pictures of him there. Uh, we've become those parents that just kind of blow up social media. And um, this past week, he started daycare. Well, we went to pick him up. I, I went to pick him up. On, uh, I went to pick him up earlier this week, and the lady at daycare was telling me, uh, Andrew, I've noticed today that after Mason eats his bottles, he seems uncomfortable. Have you guys ever tried gas drops? Of course, this is our first week at daycare. We just, I mean, we just hadn't thought of everything, and we said, man, of yes, we use gas drops. I'm so sorry we didn't bring you some. I'll have you some tomorrow. So I thought, I do not want my baby boy to be uncomfortable. So I am going to go get him some gas drops right now. I don't want to forget because I'm the type that if I don't do it right then, I may not do it. So I immediately go to Walmart right there at 581. 
And I begin to look in the pharmacy, and here's how I know we love remedies, because the pharmacy is huge. I mean, it is like six or seven aisles. And here's the thing, just a little heads up. Rosewood Walmart has recently uh, redone their store. They're still in the process of redoing their store. So what I thought was going to be a really quick trip, which is the only reason why I ventured out to a store with my son for the first time, unaccompanied and unsupervised by my wife, <laughs> was because I thought it was going to be quick. I knew where the gas drops were, where they used to be. <laughs> so there I am, got Mason, walking up and down all these aisles, looking, looking. I can't find it. I'm beginning to get frustrated. I'm beginning to get a little antsy because is he going to start crying? You know, what do we do? And I don't want to be the person whose kids wailing in Walmart and so I asked the lady in the pharmacy you know as guys we hate to ask but I finally broke down and I asked I said ma'am uh, where are the gas drops I don't know they've recently redone all this stuff we <laughs> you kidding me so off I go down other aisles finally find it it you know I so I'm six two it is down here it is like underneath some stuff. Finally find it, get it, I leave. Mason was great the whole time, so there were no problems. But that is what struck me, that we love remedies. We love problem. We love the answer to our problems when we feel pain or discomfort. And so I thought about a few, uh, I thought about a few kind of common sicknesses or problems. And so I, I just want to go through a few of them here. Uh, got allergies? There's Benadryl. Got the flu? Oh, we got something for that. There's Tamiflu. Got a cough? Hey, is it daytime or nighttime? Because we got Dayquil and we have Nyquil. We can help no matter what time of day it is, okay? Kid can't stop cussing? There's hand soap. <laughs> we... We have a remedy for everything. But I've noticed something. There are some remedies that are kind of nasty and some remedies that are kind of weird. And uh, I was going to put it up on the screen this morning. I was going to have it on this little screen. I, I want to talk about maybe a, a, a nasty remedy. Um, and I'm just going to say two words. I'm not going to show you a picture. I know some of you got to eat after this, and so I, I don't want to mess that up. Two words, nasty remedy, uh, neti pot. Anybody know what a neti pot is? Okay, so, uh, so that's gross. Um, well, Thursday night, I, I, I'm telling people this, I'm preaching this um, Thursday night, and one of the guys comes up to me after service, and he said, Pastor Andrew, I didn't know what a neti pot was, but while you were preaching, I YouTubed it. I don't know how I felt about that. How did you have so much time while I was up here preaching my heart out? He said, but it is gross. So, so don't, don't go check that out. Please don't go check out anything right now. Goodness gracious. But, uh, but maybe check that out at home if you want to be grossed out. Um, Nasty remedies, and then finally, there are some weird remedies. There are weird remedies. I, uh, when I was young, I was probably about eight years old. 
my grandparents, they owned a place at the Bay River, which is right off the Pamlico Sound. And we used to love going there every Sunday. I mean, every Sunday, every summer. Goodness gracious, you can tell it's Sunday. Anyway, we used to love going there every summer. There was plenty of stuff to do. There was a boat, paddle boat, golf cart, all sorts of fun stuff to do. One of the things we loved to do, though, was to go swimming. Now, there was one problem. Uh, the Bay River is salt water. And so with salt water comes jellyfish. So here's what you would have to do. It was so weird. You'd get ready to go swimming, and you would have to put clothes on. You'd have to get long pants on, water shoes, long sleeve shirt, because if you stuck your skin in the water and a jellyfish got you, it was painful. So we get down there, I don't know, it was me and my sister and my grandparents, I don't know if it was a Friday or Thursday, I can't remember all the details, but basically we get down to the river, and some of our friends from the neighborhood, the girl next door and her uncle, they were already in the water, and they had on their bathing suits. So me and my sister, we were like, Papa, can we go, can we go swimming? Yeah, go, you know, that was one of the cool things about Papa, he didn't, he was like, yeah, you want to try it, do it, you know, stick your finger in that electrical socket, see what happens. He was real chill. He was not overprotective. He was like, go. You want to wear swim trunks? Try it, you know. So off we go. Fast forward. Less than 10 minutes later, I am running to the house like a scalded dog. Because I evidently am a jellyfish magnet. So I get up there. And, and on the screen in porch, there's my grandpa's friend. And he says, he looks at me, he said, you just need to pee on it. No. You know how old people, they'll tell kids stuff just to mess with them. I thought, man, there ain't no way you get me to pee on my leg. So, so thank God for a sympathetic grandmother. She took me in the house, got me some calamine lotion and some Tylenol and just made it feel better. But here, here's what I found out. Uh, throughout that summer, turns out pee, peeing on a jellyfish sting, that's, that's a real thing. <laughs> that, that's a real thing. People, people do that. And so then I got to thinking, okay, let's say, let's just say I was the first one ever, okay? And uh, I get stung by a jellyfish and and I do pee on it. Maybe it's unintentionally, maybe it's intentionally. First of all, that's pretty weird in and of itself, okay? That's pretty weird. But then, even if it worked, like even if it went away, even if it took the pain away, even if I was completely healed, what kind of a person tells people who does that? I would never tell anybody. Oh, you got stung by jellyfish? Man, let me tell you something. You just need to pee on it. <laughs> but there are all sorts of remedies. Here's what I've noticed. There is a direct correlation with the intensity of our pain. As the intensity of our pain goes up, as the duration of our pain goes 
It's amazing how our desperation increases as well. That all of a sudden we become really desperate for a remedy. You've all heard about people, as I have, who had what was known as an incurable disease or something that couldn't be reversed. And all of a sudden they're willing to try out new medicines. There's an exploratory surgery. Sign me up. Because some hope is better than no hope. And if my pain goes on for long enough, and if it is intense enough, I will seek out any kind of remedy I can get my hands on. And I think about, when I say this, I think about the woman with the issue of blood. We don't know what her name is. We just know her by her problem. She had an issue with blood. And so for 12 years, 12 long years, she's suffering. And she seeks out doctors and priests and miracle men and healers. And she seeks out any and every kind of help she can to no avail. But then, one day, when her desperation was at its peak, and probably when her faith in Jesus was at its peak also, she heard that he was going to be coming through town. And so she goes out to meet him. And in her heart, she says, you know what? I don't need Jesus to have a special service. I, I don't need Jesus to pray over me. I don't even need him to pronounce me healed. I believe if I can just touch the hem of his garment, that he'll make me whole. And so we find out that that's exactly what she did that day. Because of the intensity of her pain, because of the duration of her pain, she was willing to seek out the only remedy that she knew at this point. And that was Jesus. And we know that he healed her. And so here's what I know. You guys are intelligent people. And you came to church on Palm Sunday. It's right next to Easter. And you knew, you knew when we said the remedy, you knew it was going to be Jesus. You're sharp people. Here's what I want to say, though. I believe that Jesus is not just a remedy. He's not just a cure for what ails us in our Christian lives. He's not just a cure for our spiritual lives. But Jesus is the remedy for everything that is going on in this world. And so we want to talk about that today. But before we do, I thought about, now it's not going to be real helpful to talk about the remedy if, we don't, if we're not all on the same page, if we're not fully engaged in, what's the problem? What's the problem that Jesus is the remedy for? So... I want us to look, uh, I want us to just start out on a big scale because what we tend to do is we tend to look at things that personally affect our lives and we tend to look at uh, the things we have going on in our lives. But what about on a global scale? What's going on that Jesus is the remedy for? And so I saw a report on 60 Minutes and uh, it, it talked about that the persecution that Christians are facing in Iraq. And increasingly, Christianity is becoming a thing of the past in Iraq. Here's why. The Islamic State, the terrorist group known as ISIS, 
is creating havoc for Christians in that region. What they've done is they go and they put a big mark on the home of a Christian. And that lets all of their buddies know, that lets all of ISIS know that this is a Christian home. There is a Christian who lives here. And so what happens is, once you're identified as a Christian, you have one of three options. Option number one, you can convert to Islam. Option number two, you can pay an extortion tax. How nice, right? As long as you have the money, you can practice your faith. But the third thing, if you don't want to do either of those two, is you can face the sword. And so many Christians in Iraq are left with their only option, and that is to flee. They're fleeing. 60 Minutes reports that there are no Christians in the city of Mosul. Now, now think about this. This is the Middle East. This is right next to where Jesus did all of his ministry. They have had Christians there for thousands of years. And now, increasingly, there are no Christians left. Why? Because of pure evil. Unadulterated evil in that region. So, as we talk about that, I understand that because it's way over there in Iraq, it may not affect us personally. So let's talk about something that affected this community this week. There was something that happened earlier this week that rocked this community. Happened less than five miles from here. There's, there was a gentleman who was a DOT worker. He was working on Highway 70. He was struck and killed by a motor vehicle. Not because the driver was distracted. Not because the driver just lost herself. But because the driver was high. The driver was driving impaired on prescription drugs and on street drugs. Why? Because pure evil. Because in this world, we have a problem known as sin. And it affects us all. And so I thought about, in our own lives, what does this look like for me? Maybe we didn't know the guy, the gentleman who was working on the highway. Maybe we're not super affected by what's happening in Iraq. But what about in our lives? In our lives, we see so much turmoil and conflict. We see so much injustice. This is probably what gets us more than any of the rest of these. We see the pain and suffering of innocent people. That's what gets most of us. As a pastor, that's what I get the most calls about. Pastor Andrew, why did this happen? This person was a good person. This person didn't do anything wrong. They, they had a church. They served the Lord. They, why? The very short answer is, there's, there's lots of answers, but the very short answer is, all of these things happened because the king is absent. The king is absent. We know that when Jesus Christ came to this earth, he was and is our king. And he came to this earth and the people rejected him. And when they rejected him, the king said, well, I'm going to go away for a while, but I'm coming back. I'm coming back. And so for us as Christians, that is our hope. 
that Jesus Christ is coming back. And so today is a very special Sunday in the whole narrative of Jesus and what he came to do on this earth. We know that today is Palm Sunday. And so maybe you've never been in church, maybe you didn't grow up in church, and you've never even heard that word. L let me just briefly explain to you what happened. Jesus, during his whole, uh, during the entirety of his ministry, he would heal someone or he would uh, perform a miracle. He would teach and people would say, my goodness, you are an incredible teacher. Are you the Messiah? And he would always say, now, as I healed you, don't, don't tell anybody what has happened for you. Don't tell them who's done this. All throughout his ministry, he tells people, now don't tell. Don't let people know who did this. Of course, we see that most of them go immediately and begin to tell people. But Jesus, that was not his heart at that time because he knew it was not time for him to reveal himself as the Messiah yet. But on Palm Sunday, that was the time. Jesus came into Jerusalem on Passover week. He came in on one Sunday. The very next week, within one week, he was dead. He was, he was beaten. He was mocked. He was scorned. He hung on the cross. He died for our sins. He was put in a grave. And one Sunday later, he was risen from the dead. That is what Palm Sunday is about. The people, Jesus was pronouncing himself the Messiah. The people were worshiping him. They had palm branches. They, they put him on a donkey. He rode into town on a donkey that had never been ridden before. They waved palm branches for him. We see in all four gospel accounts. And the people in the crowd were shouting, Hosanna to the son of David. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. The people were excited to see Jesus. They were excited that finally he was going to step up and deliver them. Finally, they knew it was going to happen. Jesus was the deliverer they had longed for. And every part of this story is symbolic. No part of it is without meaning. We know that the donkey that Jesus was riding on, it was a symbol of humility. It was a symbol of how humble he is and, and the peace with which he came. We see the palm branches. They indicated victory or triumph. But here's the neatest thing. As we look at our Bible, we, we, we have it all. I mean, we've got the Old Testament and the New Testament right there together. When we were born, we had both. It was already bound. It was in leather. Man, it was awesome. When Jesus came, they only had the Old Testament. And so there was this prophet who lived four to five hundred years before Jesus, and his name was Zechariah. Now, he almost didn't make it into the Old Testament. He was, he's the second to last book. I mean, he just squeaked right in there, right? And uh, what he did is pretty remarkable. There, were, there are several different indicators of what the Messiah is going to be like. There are several different filters. And so one of the filters, Jesus had a lot to accomplish, but one of the filters was what Zechariah prophesied four to five hundred years before. And I want us to take a look at that this morning. In Zechariah chapter 9, beginning in verse 9, it says, Rejoice greatly, O daughter of Zion. 
Shout aloud, O daughter of Jerusalem. Behold, your king is coming to you, righteous and having salvation is he. Humble and mounted on a donkey, on a colt, the foal of a donkey. Verse 10. I will cut off the chariot from Ephraim and the war horse from Jerusalem. And the battle bow shall be cut off. And he shall speak peace to the nations. His rule shall be from sea to sea and from the river to the ends of the earth. So here's what I want to do this morning in the time that we have remaining. I want to look at four ingredients, four distinctions that we see here in Zechariah verse 9 that make Jesus not only a remedy, but the remedy, okay? So number one, number one, he is a royal remedy. He is a royal remedy. And we're going to always reference verse 9, okay? So you can just kind of keep that up on your, you know, in your Bibles. You can keep looking at that or whatever is up here. But um, it says, rejoice greatly, O daughter of Zion. And you skip down, it says, behold, your king is coming to you. Your king. We know that Jesus was pronounced as a king at his birth and at his death. There's a scripture in Isaiah that we always look at on, uh, on Christmas. It talks about how Jesus was born. And it says, Isaiah chapter 9 verse 6, it says, Unto us a child is born, and the government shall be upon his shoulders. He is the king. He's the king. He's not a king. We know that kings, in, as we think of kings, they come and they go. And it, once I die, my son will be king. And then after him, his son. And, but that's not the way it is with Jesus. He is the king. But that wasn't just prophesied over him at his birth. We also see that pronounced over him at his death. Now, we know the soldiers, when they did this, they, they put a placard on his, uh, on his cross. They nailed it to his cross, and it said, Jesus of Nazareth, King of the Jews. Now, when they did that, they were trying to mock Jesus. They were trying to uh, make fun of him and ridicule him. We see that as they were beating him, they would hit him, and they would say, prophesy to us, O king, who just hit you? Doesn't that make you sick to your stomach? That they would beat Jesus and hit Jesus and, and mock him the whole time. And here he was. He had armies of angels at his beck and call. And yet in meekness, he allowed humans, mere humans, to mock him. And to ridicule him. And he didn't do anything. It says, uh, like a sheep before his shearer, Jesus was silent. He didn't defend himself. And they put that placard on his cross. And so he was pronounced as a king. And they may have been doing it in spite. But we know that it was absolutely true. Jesus was a king at his birth. And at his death. So he's a royal remedy. Number two, he's also a righteous 
remedy. He's a righteous remedy. Verse 9 says, Behold, your king is coming to you righteous. Now I understand it's not, it's not real easy to get excited about that word. Let me tell you why you ought to be excited that Jesus is a righteous king. Because when Jesus came, there were some men, and, and really today they get a bad rap. It's the scribes and the Pharisees. Now the scribes and the Pharisees, they devoted their whole day to writing the Old Testament. They devoted all their life to trying to keep what the Old Testament commands were. And so when an average person looked at a scribe or Pharisee, they said, man, those, those guys are way up here. We really just hope that one day we could be as good as them. Now there were some problems. They, they tend to keep the letter of the law and not always the spirit of the law. And so, so that's why they kind of get a bad rap today. But one of the things about these Pharisees and scribes is, man, they were righteous. And so the average man was down here. The average man probably felt hopeless in that day because they had this model that they knew, man, at my best, I'm not as good as them. But here's what Jesus did. When Jesus came, in Matthew chapter 5, verse 20, we see that he raises the stakes. He raises the stakes. He says, for I tell you, unless your righteousness exceeds that of the scribes and Pharisees, you will never enter the kingdom of heaven. Wait, what? The scribes and the Pharisees are already way up here. Jesus, how in the world could we be higher? How in the world could you be better than them? And so for the average man... For most of us, we would say, oh, I, I can't do that. I, how in the world am I supposed to be more righteous than them? I was just shooting to be, you know, half as good as they are. And Jesus says, that's not good enough. And that's what he tells us today. You know, as a, as a pastor, I hear all the time, well, I'm, I'm pretty good. You know, I, I give to St. Jude's. I serve at the soup kitchen, I have given blood to the Red Cross, I'm, I'm doing about as good as anybody could do. I'm doing a lot of good stuff. Man, I serve in the parking lot ministry. Do you know how hard it is to serve in the parking lot ministry in summer? I'm good. I'm a good person. And let's look at what the prophet Isaiah tells us. He says, we are all infected and impure with sin. When we display our righteous deeds, we bring them all, we've got all our righteous deeds, we're feeling pretty good about ourselves, and then it, we lay them down before God, and here's what happens. When we display our righteous deeds, they are nothing but filthy rags. Like autumn leaves, we wither and fall, and our sins sweep us away like the wind. Man, this is pretty depressing. <laughs> so you're telling me Jesus raises the stakes on righteousness. And then he tells me that if I do as much right stuff as I can think to do, as I can hope to do, if I do good stuff all the time, that all my good deeds are as dirty rags. All right, then why am I in church today? I'm leaving, you know. And so 
There is hope, though. There is hope because there is a long word. It's a theological word. It starts with an I. And I want you guys to remember this word. The word is imputation. Not amputation. We're not cutting anything off. Imputation. Here's what that means. In 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 21, it says, God made him who had no sin to be sin for us, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. So here's what Jesus did for us. Because he is a righteous king. He imputed, he transferred his righteousness to us. So that when we stand before the Father, the Father sees the righteousness of the Son. A pure life without spot or blemish, without any sin. And God welcomes us in to the kingdom of heaven. Why? Because Jesus imputed his righteousness to us. But Jesus got a pretty bum deal. Because he imputed his righteousness to us, but we imputed our sinfulness to him. So when he died on that cross, we see that in the Bible it says that there is no forgiveness of sin without the shedding of blood. So when Jesus died on that cross for us, our sin was imputed to him. That means when he was on that cross, my sin, your sin, all of our sin died right there on that cross with him. That he bore our sin once and for all because it was imputed to him. That's why we ought to be excited about righteousness. Because we can't measure up in all of our goodness, in all of our trying, it's filthy rags. But if we will trust Jesus as our Savior and as the remedy, his righteousness will be imputed to us. So he's a royal king, he's a royal remedy, he's a a righteous remedy. Thirdly, he is a redeeming remedy. Verse 9, it says, Behold, your king is coming to you, righteous and having salvation. Having salvation. That means that Jesus came to purchase us from our sins. 1 Peter chapter 1, verses 18-19 through 19 says, For you know that it was not with perishable things such as silver or gold, It was not with perishable things such as silver or gold that you were redeemed from the empty way of life handed down to you from your ancestors, but with the precious blood of Jesus, a lamb without blemish or defect. One of the most beautiful stories I know of about redemption is one that Pastor Josh preached here just a few months ago. It's the story of Hosea. Let me tell you what Hosea did. God told Hosea to do a few weird things. Uh, Number one, he told him, Hosea is a godly man, God-fearing man. He wrote a book that appears in the Bible. So we know that Hosea was a good guy. Well, God looks at him and says, I want you to marry a prostitute. Weird thing number one. Weird thing number two, her name is going to be Gomer. <laughs> so was a lot that wasn't good in this whole deal here. And, uh, and Hosea does it because God says the, 
the relationship that you have with your wife is going to be symbolic of the relationship that I have with Israel. And so Hosea goes out and marries Gomer, and at first things are going great. Gomer's a good wife. She is, they're having kids. Things are going really well. One day, Hosea comes home. Gomer's not there. She's prostituting herself again. And God tells Hosea, I want you to go out and I want you to get your wife back. He finds where she is. And she is up on the auction block. And although Gomer was his, he was his that was his wife. He didn't have to purchase her. He had already purchased her. But here's what we see. Hosea buys her back. He redeems her. And in the same way, that was what God was doing for Israel. And that is the invitation that God holds for all of us today. Is that he wants to get us back no matter how far we've strayed. So he is a redeeming remedy. Lastly, he is a humble remedy. We see that uh, in verse 9, Behold, your king is coming to you righteous and having salvation, humble and mounted on a donkey, on a colt, the foal of a donkey. Matthew chapter 8, verse 20, it says, The foxes have holes and the birds of the air have nests, but the Son of Man has nowhere to lay his head. Jesus, when he was on this earth, incredibly humble. The soldiers, when they were taking all of Jesus' belongings to beat him and to, to mock him, all they got were the clothes on his back. He didn't have a lot in this world because he was humble. He was humble. So he's a royal remedy, he's a righteous remedy, he's a redeeming remedy, and he's a humble remedy. So in closing, that means something today. Here's what I think about. During the triumphal entry, the people were excited to see Jesus because in him they saw a deliverer. In Jesus, they saw somebody who was going to meet their need. But we see that Jesus didn't come like they thought he was going to come. He didn't do what they thought he was going to do. So less than one week later, before the palm branches had even had a chance to die and wither, that they were praising him with, those same people were in a crowd before Pilate. And they were shouting, crucify him! Crucify him! Why? Because Jesus was not what they expected. He didn't do exactly what they thought. So here's the question I want to leave you with today. Who is Jesus for you? Who is Jesus for you? Is he someone that you want to meet all of your needs and your wants and your selfish desires? Or is he your Lord? Here's what we're going to do. We're going to all say a prayer together and we're going to all say it out loud. And today, if you have never accepted Jesus as your Savior, if you say this prayer and mean it, 
you can know Jesus as the remedy. Okay? Let's bow our heads. If everyone would repeat after me. Dear Jesus, thank you that you are our remedy. That you traded your righteousness for my sin. I ask that you would forgive me of all my sin. Come live in my heart. Be the Lord of my life. In Jesus' name.